We are so thankful that you are here to worship with us this morning. I pray that you've had a blessed Thanksgiving and that you were able to be refreshed and encouraged as you spent time with family and friends. My name is George Olmstead. I am one of the pastors here on staff, and I am thankful to our elders and to Pastor Grant for allowing the opportunity to share the Word of God with you this morning. And we know that it's a family service, and so we have, uh, in this sermon, uh, made a few adjustments to help keep our younger children engaged. We want you to know that, uh, parents, we are praying for you this morning, and we love you, and we know that uh, it is an awesome opportunity for us to be able to worship together with our children. And so let's not take uh, that lightly, but let's just rejoice in the Lord that we have that opportunity this morning. Now with Thanksgiving behind us, what do we do? We turn our thoughts and our focus to the Christmas season. Now, some of you may have already uh, have had your house decorated, while other of, of us, like myself, we're, uh, we're going to be finishing up this week. Some of you might not start for a few more weeks, or you might be like my parents when they grew up. They uh, didn't decorate until Christmas Eve. And so some of you might be thinking, man, that's stressful, or that might be the way to go this year. That's up to you. But we know this, that Sarah and I, for us, we, we look forward to getting the decorations up because then we take time in this season to, to slow down as a family for the next few weeks because we really, truly enjoy soaking in one of our favorite times of the year. That time of year is a season filled with celebrating the birth of Jesus, for spending time with family and friends. It's the lighting of Advent candles. It's a few nights dedicated to driving around the city to look at all the different Christmas lights. It's an opportunity to listen to Christmas music and to sing Christmas carols. It's the, or for our house anyways, it's the overindulgence of hot chocolate and Christmas snacks. It's the opportunity to say Merry Christmas as many times as I want during this time of the year. It's also the opportunity that we enjoy of, of sharing the story of why the Son of God left heaven to be offered as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of mankind, bringing hope into a hopeless world. You know, my favorite 24-hour period of the Christmas season begins with a candlelight Christmas Eve service, and it concludes with my favorite Christmas dinner, steak and shrimp. Now, normally that timeline is from 6 p.m. Christmas Eve to 6 p.m. Christmas night. It kind of varies depending on uh, where we are serving and, and, and what is going on. But why is this my favorite time of the Christmas season? And here's why. Because it's filled with such great anticipation. That 24-hour that period of time has so much anticipation. Anticipation of what is to come. The anticipation looks a little something like this. It's the anticipation of waking up on Christmas Eve and knowing that in just a few hours that I will be worshiping Jesus together with my family and my local church through a candlelight service. That is something that I just can't wait to participate in on Christmas Eve. And then I absolutely love the anticipation of community worship the night before Christmas. But then there's this anticipation and, and really uncontrolled excitement about baking and decorating Christmas cookies and then getting our children to bed. That's the most anticipated thing for Christmas and Eve. Getting them to bed. Why? So that we can be up bright and early to celebrate the birth of Jesus and to exchange gifts with one another. 
But there's also that anticipation that moves from that Christmas Eve into that Christmas morning when this will take place in our home. Our, our children will, will gather on our bed and, and we will open up to Luke chapter 1 and, and we will each read a portion of what took place in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. We will celebrate the birth of Jesus. We will be thankful for the hope that we have in Him. We will spend time in prayer Thanking Jesus for being born and fulfilling the God's fulfilling fulfilling God's promise. And here's the deal. We do not rush that time on Christmas morning. Instead, we cherish that time together. Our children have, have bought in. They know that the morning of Christmas is about Jesus. And I couldn't be any happier that they truly sit and they wait and they listen and they respond and they engage in the conversation. But then after that, we'll take time to exchange gifts and we'll enjoy one another's excitement and expressions of, of happiness as, as gifts are opened and Christmas wish lists are realized. But then there will be that anticipation after all that's done that morning for that favorite Christmas dinner, steak and shrimp. You know, I love that 24-hour period of anticipation because it's filled with hope. It's filled with hope rooted in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Hope lived out with the intentional decision to spend time in God's Word as a family so that we do not miss that most significant reason for why we are even celebrating Christmas. Hope that is shared throughout the day in conversations, <coughs> excuse me, wrapped in the story of the gospel. We'll spend time this Christmas already on this Christmas day uh, looking back to the book of Mark that we just went through together as a church. And we will involve our conversation around that gospel story. You know, I love the Christmas season for one main reason. And the reason is this. Hope is presented with such an intentionality unlike any time of the year. That is why I love it. And over the next six weeks, Pastor Grant is going to embark upon a sermon series entitled Hope is Born. And I would highly encourage each of you to use this sermon series as an opportunity to invite family and friends who might be looking for hope within what seems like a hopeless world in which we live. So this morning, I want us to spend some time addressing this specific thought, hope in a hopeless world. So today, we're going to begin to wrap our minds around this biblical promise of hope. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in one verse this morning. We're going to expound upon it a little bit, but we're also going to make sure that, that we engage our children and help them understand the importance of this verse. We will be looking at this verse with this purpose, for it to provide for us the spiritual mindset to live out a life of hope when everything around us seems to scream of hopelessness. So while you turn there to Romans chapter 12, you may be there already, we're going to take a moment being a family Sunday, and we're going to actually show a video here in just a second. This video is going to take time to break down the Hebrew and Greek words of what hope is, and it's, it's going to be a lot better for us to do it through a video than me explaining that, and hopefully it will engage our children and you as well, but it'll be an opportunity just to spend time on learning what the true definition of biblical hope is all about. Let's turn our attention to the screens. 
So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava. The feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, At this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. 
Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. So pretty interesting video there on the biblical meaning of of the Hebrew and the Greek words used for hope. So this morning we find ourselves in Romans 12, 12. And it reads this, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So as noted in the video, the word hope used here by Paul is the Greek word elpis. And elpis can be defined as expectation, trust, and confidence. And it, and it comes from the root word epo, which means to anticipate with pleasure and to welcome. So in our culture today, the, world, the word hope is used in the context of expecting something to happen, but not sure if it will. So it's more like a wish. For example, hoping it doesn't rain or hoping your favorite team wins the championship. So good luck to many of you and your Baylor Bears. I've lost all hope in my Sooners, and we'll just leave it at that. However, biblical hope is knowing for a fact with certainty that a desired outcome will happen. It's not a wishful thinking, but it's a confident expectation. For example, if I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repent of my sin, calling upon the Lord to save me, my hope, my confident expectation is that I will be forgiven, I will be redeemed, I will be saved based on the promise of God to do so. This is not a wishful hope. It is a fact. It is a truth. It's one that I can be confident in. So according to our text verse this morning, we can be assured of finding and living with hope in a hopeless world. In Romans 12, here's what's happening. Paul is calling the believer to live a life set apart and not conformed to this world. In the world, not of it, as we would say today. To live a sacrificial life of worship, transformed by the renewing of one's mind, so that the Lord may be pleased. He is calling the believer to this, to live a life as part of the body of Christ, using their gifts to edify and build up one another, while at the same time building the kingdom of Christ. So he's ultimately calling the believer to love God with all they are and to love others in spite of how the world may say otherwise. The only way a person can truly love God and can truly love others in a biblical sense, in the truest of all senses, is to have a life that has been so radically changed by the power of God that they live according to the Scriptures and countercultural to this world. And that's what our verse is teaching us this morning in Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. This verse is definitely countercultural to what the world would expect from us when we find ourselves attacked, or we find ourselves in a place of loneliness, or a place of hurt, or a place of confusion or discomfort. The world would have us react differently. But God says, no, there is a way that you can have joy in the midst of all the tribulation, the trials, the affliction that you are facing. So Paul gives us this morning three action steps that will help us as believers to remain hopeful in a hopeless world. 
The first thing we see this morning, the first step that we are to take daily is to rejoice in hope. To rejoice in hope. Paul is declaring this, that, that although we live in a world that is turbulent, it's evil, it's hypocritical, it's lazy, it's filled with enemies that desire to attack us, there is still plenty of reason to rejoice and to be glad. How in the world can that be? Well, in Philippians 4.4, 4, we are told to rejoice always. In Romans 5.3, we are told to rejoice in our sufferings. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, we are again called to rejoice when and how? Always. In Psalm 32.11, the psalmist writes, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Listen, no matter what the world brings against us or what circumstances we find ourselves in, there will always be a reason to rejoice. And that reason to rejoice is found here in Romans 12, 12. It's because of the hope that we have. Listen, we are going to face conflict, trials, and tribulation. We cannot get around that. We live in a fallen, sinful world. Yet we as believers are enabled to be able to rejoice in hope through whom we have our hope in. Listen to this. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What principle do we take from this? We can rejoice in hope because of our salvation through Jesus. Listen, once when we were born, we found ourselves dead in our trespasses. We found ourselves uh, dead to our sin. We were, we were, uh, 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 we were uh, imprisoned by it. We really didn't have a lot of hope of getting out of it. And yet, God says, wait a second. I want to show you grace. I want to show you mercy. And I want to give you a way of rescue. And he provided that way of rescue through that living hope, Jesus Christ. So this morning, we rejoice in hope because of our salvation through Jesus. Romans 15, 13 reads this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Listen, we rejoice in our salvation because in that salvation, we are made into a new creation, but something takes place in that moment that allows us to even be able to live out this idea of rejoicing in hope. And we can rejoice in hope because of the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Listen, the world has no hope. The Bible is countercultural. Why? Because he's pointing us to the fact that we have Jesus Christ who has saved us. But in that moment that we are saved, the Holy Spirit indwells in us and gives us the possibility and the hope to live out this moments, these moments of rejoicing when others might look at us and go, how can you even do that? When we think about Romans 15.4, it says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, 
that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So this rejoicing in hope, what does it involve? It involves salvation in Jesus. It involves the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. But we can also rejoice in hope because of the encouragement of Scriptures. The encouragement of Scripture. Several years ago, there was a lady by the name of Alice Pierce. She was a Christian language arts teacher at a California school, and she was traveling from Burbank to Sacramento. And she had just spent three days with other women in a Bible conference. She was super excited about rereading her notes and absorbing the truths in her material as she read on the airplane. Now, I don't know what kind of traveler you are. Some are people who like to engage with others. I'm the put your headphones in, leave me alone, I'm trying to get somewhere kind of person. But it never fails. If you're that type of person, someone will engage you in a conversation. Well, this is what happens here. Alice, as she is reading her notes, a gentleman who was sitting next to her, a man in his early 30s, asked her this, What do you do? And she answered, I'm a speaker. Well, what do you speak about, came the question. She answered, hope. I am a Christian, and I speak about the hope that Christians have in Christ Jesus. The man looked Miss Pierce in the face and said, Lady, I sure could use some hope right now. My wife has left me for another man. My mother has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, and I have just filed for bankruptcy in my business. Hey, you know what, Miss Alice? Why don't you speak to me about this idea of hope. From Sacramento to Burbank, Alice Pierce told the inquiring stranger about the hope that Christians have in Jesus Christ, whatever their circumstances might be. Now, two things took place on that day. The first is this. A man heard a witness about Christ's power to inspire and to provide hope. Second, A Christian woman came away thrilled with the opportunity to share with a hungry person the hope which Jesus can give. Alice has hope because of her salvation. She can then share her hope because of the power of the Holy Spirit that works in and through her. And when she shares her hope, she can point others to the Scriptures which will teach, guide, and instruct those who hear them. Listen, we can rejoice in hope because of our salvation, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the scriptures in which we can learn and glean from. Paul not only is encouraging this morning to rejoice in hope, but he says this. He's also encouraging us through a second action step when he writes, Be patient in tribulation. Now we must understand this morning, and this is not news to you, but that we will find ourselves in the midst of suffering throughout our lives here on earth. It is mentioned throughout the the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, throughout the entire Bible. For the believer's suffering is going to take place. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. As a matter of fact, many of you this morning may have come in with a trial, with an affliction, with a, a moment of suffering that you were trying to endure. Can I tell you this morning, there is hope for you. There might be others this morning who who are in a good season of life and, and there's not much suffering, but we must be prepared for when that suffering will take place. We are to be patient in tribulation. 
So Paul is encouraging us here to be patient, or in other words, to endure patiently in this suffering. To accept it, to be prepared for it, and to rejoice in hope through it. Pastor, how do we do this? James 1 says this in verses 2 and 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Can I tell you this morning, we can be patient in tribulation. Here's why. Because we know we will face it. Therefore, we can be prepared for it. And if you listen to James 1-2, it says that there's a little, there's a, uh, there's a process. Count it joy when you meet various kinds of trials because it's going to test your faith and it will produce something. It will produce steadfastness. It will produce that ability to understand that no matter what I face, that God is there with me, He is in it, He is through it, and then I can stand fast upon Him. Romans 5, 3 through 6 says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In my study this week, I came across this, and and John Piper says this of this passage. Here it is, plain, that Christian joy and hope and patient endurance are not in freedom from tribulation, but in spite of and even because of tribulation. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Paul doesn't just tolerate tribulation. He makes it serve the Christian. He turns it from master to slave. And what Satan means for our destruction, God means for our good. In the very act of trying to destroy our joy, Satan is made to drive the root of it deeper into God. We can be patient in tribulation because it builds within us the godly characteristic God desires for us to grow in. When we think about that process of endurance and it leading to spiritual growth, one of the things here at Fellowship is is that we want folks to grow deep. Why? Not just for the knowledge, but for the application that when trials come, you will be tested and you will, will need to endure. We can be patient in tribulation also because through it, our root of hope is only deepened and strengthened. Paul is encouraging us this morning to rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. You're going to face the affliction. It's not going to be something that is fun to walk through. But I will say this. When we are patient in our tribulation, when we are willing to endure our tribulation on the other side of it, There is a lesson to be learned, a hope to be gained that will encourage us to continue through the next item that we face. You know, when it says rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, there's one season of my life that I always come to, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a future sermon. But there was a season of life in my marriage, that I had to learn, and Sarah had to learn to be patient in tribulation. 
Something that could have destroyed our marriage. Something that could have just said, we're done. Yet knowing the hope that we had in Jesus. To be able to say, we're going to be patient through this. And we're going to rely on the one who has given us deep roots. And we're going to trust that he's going to take us through this. And now years later, we are in a place where we look back and we have learned and we are grateful for that season. Oh, we wouldn't want to go through it again. But we are grateful because God showed us who our hope is in. Not one another, but in him. This morning, as you face trials and affliction and tribulation, as you endure them, as you are patient, I want to encourage you to follow our next action step. You see, to be able to rejoice in hope and to be able to be patient in tribulation, we must, we must be constant in prayer. Prayer is the power that God has given us to endure, and to rejoice. If we as believers desire to love God with all that we are and to love others as He's called us to do, if we desire to rejoice in hope and to be patient in tribulation, then we must be constant in prayer. How do we live this out? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is a great place to start. A verse that every one of us is familiar with the Bible, has heard of or knows, pray without ceasing. Listen, we can be constant in prayer publicly, privately, and as you go. This is a very simple verse to understand. The first thing in praying without ceasing is pray as you go. Early on in my relationship with Christ, as I tried to uh, be a good brother in Christ to others, prayer requests would be sent my way, and I had a good, uh, I was really good at shelving those prayer requests to pray for later. I don't know if you have a habit of that, but, but for me, I, I really never got around to the later. So I learned very early on, if I commit to pray for someone when they ask, I need to pray as I'm going. Pray in the moment. That doesn't just work for others, but that also works for me. I don't need to pray about something later. I need to pray about it when I'm in the midst of it. Pray as you go. Pray in the moment. Listen, pray alone. I love the opportunity to get in the prayer closet, to get away from everywhere and everyone and just have a time with the Lord speaking to Him, listening to Him. I love praying alone, but I also love to pray with others. How do you pray without ceasing? You pray publicly, privately. You pray as you go. You pray alone. You pray with others. You build a strong, consistent prayer life. Prayer is a spiritual discipline that is a must for every believer. Children that are in here this morning, listen, when mommy and daddy are praying, you want to engage in that prayer. You want to join in them. Parents, it's important that we teach our children that they too can pray. So I want to encourage you this week that as you pray without ceasing, that you include one another in those prayers. We can also be constant in prayer and all things through an attitude of thanksgiving. James 5, 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another 
And I'm sorry, uh, Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We can be constant in prayer with all things through an attitude of thanksgiving. Kind of goes back to what I was saying a moment ago about our marriage. Very thankful that God revealed who he was and we opened our eyes to listen to who he was. Thankful. You know, we go through tough seasons in parenting. We go through tough seasons in our job. We go through tough seasons in life. Like, listen, we must be constant in prayer, but we must let our thanksgiving be known. I want to encourage you to make sure that as you open up your prayer time, that there's a heart of thanksgiving for who Jesus is and what he's done. James 5.16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we're to be constant in prayer. So that means pray without ceasing, pray with an attitude of thanksgiving, but also pray with accountability and biblical hope. What I mean by that is this, listen, we are to come together and pray with and for one another. We are to hold each other accountable through times of prayer. And when we share with one another, to follow back up and say, hey, how are you doing with that situation? What is God showing you in the midst of this? What are you learning? Are you still waiting? Where are you at? How can we pray together in this? But we also pray with biblical hope, with an expectation that God will accomplish his will. And in that prayer of hope and confidence, we will accept what that will is. And we will be thankful and we will rejoice. You know, Paul has given us some really applicable action steps to take when we find ourselves in the midst of suffering, when we find ourselves asking, is there any hope? He's also provided for us an answer for those who may ask us that same question. Listen, in this Christmas season, here's what's going to happen. You're going to find yourself having conversations with others who are facing difficulties in life. They may be facing financial difficulties or marital or parental or health-related or mourning the death of a loved one. Just this morning, I received a text from a friend of mine who, uh, who lost his mother overnight. You know, that's not something to rejoice about as we kick off the Christmas season. But as I shared with him, he can rejoice in the hope of Jesus. He can be patient and endure this trial. And he can, through the constant of prayer, know that the Lord is right there with him as he walks through this very difficult time. Who knows what we're going to find ourselves in the conversations that we have. But there will be conversations, and you will have this exact question, and it will come up. The question is this, is there any hope? And although you may have known the answer when you came in here, you now have an exact verse to point yourself and others to. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. That's our hope this morning, is that we will follow the action steps that will allow us to live a life that God desires for us to live. You hear this every Christmas, but I want to tell you again, The greatest gift that you can give anyone this Christmas season is is the gift of hope, and his name is Jesus. Children, listen, for some, there will be 
some Christmas presents throughout the year. I mean, throughout the season. And maybe even on Christmas morning. For others, there may not be. I don't know what's going to happen in your home. But I know this, that as your parents watch you get excited about gifts throughout the year, there's one gift that we can't wait to see take place in your life. And so, boys and girls, listen to me. We are praying, and we are constantly praying, that you too one day will accept Jesus as Savior, and you will be a child of His. That's when mom and dad will be the most excited and have the most rejoicing that ever takes place. I love it. I can't wait for my four-year-old to meet Jesus. This morning, I pray that it's not lost on why we celebrate Christmas. We rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, and we're constant in prayer. Let us pray.